Welcome to the Gregarious Mammal Podcast. This is Chris speaking to you from, of all places, Mauritius. And uh, on the other side of, well, actually on the other side of the hemispheres for once, we have... <laughs> yeah, this is Kate. Hi, everyone. I would like to say I'm, I'm speaking from somewhere equally exotic, but sadly, I am speaking from my Berlin living room. Again, Mauritius, we'll get to in a minute, but let's kick off with a few uh, topics of discussion and then take it from there. So, first up, uh, the revisiting the story of GDPR, but taking a slightly different perspective. We're actually, well, we're actually four days away from the final deadline as of recording on the 21st of May, 25th of May is the deadline for getting your shit together, people. Um, we did our newsletters, uh, probably experienced a high drop-off like most people, but uh, that's just the way it is. Better than being sued for uh, $25 million or whatever it is. Um, but what we'd actually like to talk about is kind of some of the unintended consequences. So there have been a few companies that have said, we are not going to operate in the EU anymore. Um, and a lot of them have frankly been companies that it's probably doing you a favor. Uh, so one of the, the example we're going to refer to in particular is an article from TechCrunch about Unroll Me, who are infamous for getting into a lot of trouble from selling all your email data anyway. So it's precisely the sort of company that GDPR is attempting to, to uh, whip into shape. So it's actually kind of working. And there's also been a lot of games companies, some of the less salubrious ones and things like that already. There may be more. But yeah, it's interesting. It's it's starting to work in quote marks, depending on your perspective. Uh, did you have a read of this, Kate? I did. I did. Yeah, it's um, it, it's an interesting one. I mean, it's it's like I, in a way, I actually appreciate there's the element of honesty with some of this stuff of these companies going, well, yeah, look, it's a bit too. It takes too long. It's too hard. I'm not. I'm throwing my hands up and yeah, not dealing with it, <laughs> which is not something you hear much in tech. You know, um, most people paint things in a, a fairly you know glamorous way and or a you know a, a win-win way. And I think um, this is kind of interesting. What, what what's your take on it? I well, I think I've really mostly already given my opinion. Um, I mean, I don't know if. Yeah, I'm not sure if they're real. It is weird, like how, especially Silicon Valley tech. I'm not sure if Unroll Me are from Silicon Valley, but they have these sort of two sides of talking. Like, yeah, they're very shiny, shiny, which actually I'll talk about a bit more in a minute. Or they're just, oh, we can't be bothered. <laughs> and they're two fairly extreme uh, responses to, to problems. But yeah, it's so, it's, it's, it's working. And, uh, well, as I say, it's working in quote marks. And we'll see what happens over the next. Weak, I suppose. Um, but I think the real, re- real repercussions, the, the fines, the taking to court, the people trying to make claims on their data won't happen yet. And that will be when it gets really interesting just to see how effective it is at actually doing that. In practice, yeah. That's what will get interesting, I think. Exactly, exactly. And and let's bear in mind, I mean, there's going to be, like, it's got to be depending on the severity of the breaches. So, you know, it's not like the first few cases will be people going to court and winning all this money. It's not all about breaches. It's not all about breaches. In fact, the breaches is probably the easiest one to challenge because a breach is generally somewhat obvious and generally somewhat hard to say... um, 
that's not true, Gov. The the one that I'm actually most interested in is the people getting access to data on them in a machine-readable format. I think that's going to be the one that people try to dodge the most, actually. Um, and also just the aspect of people just not really knowing what they're doing and coming afoul of just a disgruntled customer uh, and that that kind of thing. We'll see where that plays out. But okay, let's stick in Europe for a little bit longer, but something slightly different that will transition into our kind of conversation topics for the this episode, which is what we've been up to, because that's actually taken up a vast chunk of our time the past few weeks. So, um, and this, it's not really tech related, but it feeds into some observations I made on recent trips to America. And it's actually, uh, it, it's, yeah, it's an article on The Local, which is a sort of expatriate, um, foreigner-friendly uh, English language website for people who live in various European countries. And this is just uh, an article about how riding Germany's local transport really helps you get under a city's skin. Uh, and I bought this in. I mean, to be honest with you, the fact that it's talking about Germany or whatever is somewhat irrelevant. It's actually, uh, I wanted to bring it up because... I have uh, one of my real take homes from my recent US trips has been um, the the real stark differences between rich and poor, between black and white, between haves and haves nots, and all sorts of other things. And actually, in some cities, and I would say most cities, because most cities in America are not great for public transport, I would actually put this down to the fact that not many people get public transport. They don't come into contact with people unlike them enough and just mix with them in a tin can hurtling along the street or a track to to appreciate each other. Whereas in Europe, people tend to ride public transport more and are just mixed in with each other more for the negative and the positive, uh, you know. But um, I think it actually it introduces people to each other a lot more, which the US sometimes lacks. And yeah, I just wanted to sort of it was interesting and it, it, it just fed into a lot of my thoughts of recent American trips. So I don't know if you have any thoughts. Do you mean there. it's a, do you mean it's like a level up? Yeah, exactly. Because everyone's it, in the same carriage. Yeah, know? exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you're all, yeah, I mean, it's true. You're, you're all dealing with the, you know, the smelly drunk in the corner or you're dealing with the loud talking American on their phone or the, um, I don't know, the screaming child or the person selling the newspaper or whatever it is, you know, the busker. And yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree. And it, like I was mentioning earlier, the interview I did for Dzone recently with a, a company that's working in the the bike share and the um, micro transport area. And one of the things they said that really struck me that is something that I find very hard to relate to as one an Australian and secondly someone living in Europe is the reliance of some people on their cars. And my caveat here is I've never driven, so I've never had a car. <laughs> but they they said that like you know eighty something like eighty to ninety percent of cars, or maybe it was more, sit undriven for more than twenty three hours a day. But people will take their cars with them small distances just in case they need them. And it's like, oh, what if I want to go to the shop and I need my car? Or what if something happens and I need my car? It's almost like a security blanket. And it's just a different concept to what we would have as people living in Europe where you just go, well, I just get on a tram or I get on a bus or I walk. I walk there. <laughs> like I, I remember talking to someone about um, in America, they have a drive through Starbucks because people don't want to walk in to get their coffee. And it's some of these things, I mean, it's – 
to us they're very hard to imagine, but it's it's this kind of concept of transport being, um, you know, the difference between somewhere like Germany or when you're in a shared vehicle, you're with it, like you said, you're with everybody. It's that leveler, it's that kind of you're all in it together. If you're in a car by yourself, very yeah. different. I would like to, and also it, it's the design of American cities, like uh, finding right. supermarkets and things is non impossible. Let's let's transition. I would just like to caveat one thing you said, Kate, with that Australian cities are not necessarily much better. Or I'd agree. They're, they're better than many US cities, but compared to, well, Melbourne and Berlin, Melbourne is actually bigger than Berlin and has a quarter of the transport options. So That's true. Yeah, and Canada is similar as well. Uh, you know, modern cities basically built around cars. But let's transition in. So I have been at a bunch of conferences and Kate's been at a couple. I can't entirely remember where yours sit into the mix. So jump in if you feel that chronologically... Um, you your you should be in there. <laughs> so, yeah. So when we, the one I want to talk about was last week. Okay. All right. Good. When we uh, last spoke, uh, I was speaking from. Uh, I was about to say Las Vegas. Then I wasn't in Las Vegas. I was in New Orleans <laughs> at Collision, but I didn't really talk about the event because it was still in progress. So I was at Collision in New Orleans, which is the U- American North American because it's actually moving to Toronto next year now. A partner of Web Summit in Lisbon, which we have been to before, although it's also been in Dublin before. And it was, I don't know, I think I preferred uh, Web Summit in Lisbon. I must admit, I find that um, the combination of the American over-positivity and self-promotion combined with startup mentalities a bit too much to bear sometimes. <laughs> and I found it a little, a little, a little strong. Um, I didn't see any mind-blowing talks or technologies. I interviewed a few people and those interviews will be coming out soon and they were interesting. I interviewed Stephen Wolfram from Wolfram Alpha. That will be coming out soon because we actually spoke quite a lot and I need to sort of weave it into something. And I also spoke to Chris Birches, the uh, lead, I'm not really sure what his title is, of the JavaScript Foundation, which will also come out soon as part of an article on DZone about open source foundations more broadly. And I interviewed uh, Brian again from the Hyperledger Foundation. I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to do with that uh, yet. It was a, uh, unfortunately, the background noise at the venue wasn't fantastic. So interviews are a little hard to, to hear. I had to yeah. do quite a lot of work. But the conference it can itself, be a hard one. <laughs> I don't know. And I think the combination of New Orleans being a party town somewhat and then like I found at South by Southwest that Americans are obsessed with constantly finding the best, the coolest thing and constantly hearing people going on and on and on about the parties and how late they were up and stuff like that just got a bit tedious and <laughs> did my head in a bit. Feel old. Um, <laughs> just did my head in a bit. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it was – it was interesting. I don't know. I'm not 100% sure what I am. I don't yeah, know. It's, mixed feelings. On I don't know. I, I, I have this thought a lot about conferences, particularly tech conferences, and I think, are there too many conferences? What are the mm. real purpose of a lot of these conferences uh, versus the re- like the the expected you know purpose versus the reality? And I, I think because we, we go in there as – 
you know, doing tech journalism work. And for us, it's work. Like, we're not there to party. Well, we might have some um, yeah. free free beverages. But, you know, the we, we are there in a, a work capacity as well. And I often, I often think about, you know, what – I guess what I'm thinking about, to be honest, is – what is the most beneficial part of a conference? Is it the networking? Is it the presentation? The networking, we sometimes underrate the networking. It actually is a fundamental part of many things, especially a, if I think it's actually a very big part If you of have something more to promote. I would say the other aspect yeah. I've found is the fact that we both work for outlets that are not widely known and are a bit niche. That's true. It means that quite often people yeah. are like... Who do you write for expecting it to be some hyper-famous thing they've heard of? And when you tell them, they're like, oh... Okay, and they don't they don't know what it is, so they sort of switch off a bit. I don't know, which is a negative. Yeah, I I think a couple of thoughts I often have is firstly, um, I have been to lots of conferences where the speakers pay to speak in some capacity, whether they're yeah. sponsors or something, and I find that I find that a little problematic in some ways. Um, I also have been to conferences where um, I like web, my, my criticism of Web Summit is perhaps that the um, the sessions are very short, mm. so you don't get that in depth. But conversely, on the other side, I've I've actually been involved in a conference organising, which is the IT Solutions World Congress in Barcelona in October, and my role has been going through the submission, the speaker submissions. So you, you see both sides of it and you kind of – it can be very interesting when you, mm-hmm. you know, you look at that side of it too. So um, Yeah, so let's move yeah. on and I don't want to, to tarnish America with the same brush. I did say that it was the combination of the sort of startup world plus Americans because then mm. after that I jetted across the country to the Write the Docs conference in Portland, which was very different. Mm. Um not so heavy on the party side. We were all generally tucked up in bed by 11 p.m. <laughs> and quite happy to do so. Uh, a few drunk, a few drunks were had. A few drinks were had, but no one, no <laughs> one went wild really. Um, and a very differently organised conference. I mean, to be honest with you, uh, tech writers, especially, uh, usually far more introverted and more kind of calm, yeah. quiet people. The conference had much more focus around things like code of conduct and stuff like that. So ensuring that people weren't being just arrogant a-holes, I suppose. Um, and that happens fairly rarely at uh, the Docs conferences. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't really – I'm too much a part of the community to say anything negative really. Um, and it wasn't much mm-hmm. negative to say really. I think the mm-hmm. only negatives for me were – this was not just me – was the conferences held in a, on a sprung dance floor, which means that any time anyone walks around, the whole place bounces right next to you, oh, which is kind of weird <laughs> and kind of – That's funny. Kind of distracting. <laughs> so so that, was, that was it. Um, Bizarrely, the the organisers had done a very good job at picking a venue in Prague that looked quite a lot like the venue in Portland, and apparently that was intentional. Um, yeah, nice talks, good lightning talks. Um, I spent a lot of the time being super tired, which made me a little uh, a little. I don't know, not as not as. Were you conference hungover from the last one? I don't know. I'm not sure. I just uh, I'm not sure what I was, but. Um, and the problem with freelancing is you've always got something to do. 
that needs to be done. Oh. So you're never completely focusing on things, which is sometimes frustrating. But uh, yeah, I met a few good people. You've always got a deadline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, it was good. It was fine. Um, yeah, um, good little event. Uh, it's a growing community. Uh, I have actually been to the Write the Docs conferences on every continent in the past year. Uh, I guess I will, people keep saying to me, like, will you be at Prague? I don't know. The Prague one is such an easy thing to do. I don't even think about it until the last minute because it's very easy to get to Prague from Berlin. So, um, yeah, it was fine. It was good. Uh, yeah, lots of developers there, which was good as well. People from different backgrounds, that's, that's which is good. good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good. So that's pretty much all there is to say on that. Then I yeah, I'd like to talk. Oh, sorry. I think I think I've got uh, one more until we get to yours chronologically. <laughs> oh, oh, I, see. I do apologise. I think I'm not 100 sure. So then I came back and stayed home for a bit, and then I jetted off to Oslo for the Catapult Future Fest, where I was speaking this time. The previous two events I was just sort of attending or writing about. Uh, Oslo was ridiculously hot. Uh, it was actually hotter than Spain for the two of the days I was there, which is weird. So, of course, being Norwegians, they found it insanely hot because over there it was very hot. Um, <laughs> Were they all out getting sunburned? But it was also insanely expensive. Uh, the, the, the cliches are true, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so I made very good use of the speaker meal tickets and drink tokens we had because that was about all I could afford. Free was about the only price I could afford. Um, and they were very generous organisers. Catapult Future Fest is a, is an interesting an event. It's run for a couple of years. It sort of merges some of the old work that Kate and I used to do, like the social enterprise work, mm. into some of the new world, like tech and startups. That would be interesting. And there's a new term that I'd not heard before. Uh, I'm not sure if it's just a modern term for an old thing called impact investing. So people who are in – and this is actually what Catapult is. Catapult is an impact investment fund. So this is investing into organisations that may or may not be profitable or they may be profitable at not a large scale. Profit is not their main concern. Their main Mm -hmm. concern is making some sort of positive impact and they're investors who are interested in investing in those, whether they're doing that for tax incentives or because they're genuinely interested or a bit of both, who knows. Um, I was actually reading something this morning uh, that didn't really make the show about especially Silicon Valley uh, donors into some of these sorts of funds as well and what, what really happens at the end of it all. But anyway, that's another conversation. Um, look, I, I don't know. The event was interesting. The The issue with mixing people from different fields, which is a good thing, is that mm-hmm. people have different ways of looking at things and different opinions and you will get some disagreements. So there were a lot of people who come from the more – uh, not-for-profit world who have a tendency to be somewhat idealistic and over-positive. And then you have people from the tech world who sometimes tend to be a little negative. <laughs> so, you know, you get very mixed opinions. You have some people on That's one so side. F- hang on, hang on. Yeah. Um, sorry, I just have to pull you up on what you said there because sometimes I think the opposite. The people from the not-for-profits are the jaded, cynical ones and the tech ones the positive ones. <laughs> uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's just the people that were at the event. I don't know. For example, Funny. I actually agonised over my talk, which was only 15 minutes, and sanitised oh. it because I thought the audience oh, no. weren't going to like it. And then the person who went oh. after me, who was a lawyer, who was actually a very fascinating person, as like a, a civil lawyer, and her perspective was she actually had a similar opinion as me, but 
didn't sanitize her talk at all and basically got up and said, this is a conference about providing positive impact people. Where's all the poor people? Where's the people of colour? There were a few, but not yeah. many. Where's the Where's the people who we supposedly help? They're not here. Why are they not here? How would that change the conference if they were? You know, it's just a lot of mm-hmm. predominantly rich white people walking around. So, oh, really? Yeah. Um, you know, and it was a fair point. Um, and but also her point about how would it change the event was an interesting one. And we spoke about that in a panel afterwards as well. Um, and, and, and again, was she's... Was there a... So just one quick thing. She spoke a lot on, you know, this aspect of there's a lot of well-meaning rich white people, and I will use those words because it probably tends to be, who think they're solving problems that they don't necessarily know about or aren't necessarily a problem. They're just some, and I'm going to be somewhat sceptical and maybe uh, negative intentionally to sort of uh, make a point, but who are maybe inventing problems and solving problems to make themselves feel better instead of actually solving a problem. Uh, So it was an interesting event and at times I was annoyed with it and at times I was frustrated with it and at times I liked it. Uh, I think one of the other negatives was the weather was amazing. (laughs) Mm, Oh, dear. It was on the sea. Uh, So to be honest with you, if you were talking after like 2 p.m., everyone had just buggered off. Gone to the beach. So we all agonised <laughs> over our talks and then oh, hardly yeah. anyone was there to listen to them. So it felt like all this time and effort I'd put in and we'd put in. Oh, Two of the speakers on my, like, chunk were from America. So the conference had paid all this money and they wow. actually paid for everyone's travel and stuff. And then there were, like, ten people in the crowd, you know. Oh, So there was this weird bad. mix they... of, of that which got – if I had one negative comment to the organisers, it would be don't keep encouraging people to party. Like that's not uh, what you're here for. What's they? the point of oh. Yeah. Why were they doing that? I don't know. I have noticed that the Nordic countries tend to it's weird, like they're either very reserved or they tend to go all out. <laughs> and there was a yeah, I don't know. There was a few strange things. But it was interesting. It was a different perspective on things that I don't normally see. So yeah. My question was about the um, this, the speaker you mentioned who was saying, "Well, where are the you know the recipients of these charities or what have you, or the maybe the workers of the charities because they often get overlooked also." Um, were there efforts to invite them? I have no idea. I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe not. And there were because um, I mean there were yeah, more people from it's Africa really point. than normal, which was good, but still not a large amount. Um, and I guess that's because their trips were paid for. I mean, normally the reason you don't see many African people at events in the West is it's too expensive. So Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, Kate, now I think it's your yeah, turn. No, it's an <laughs> um, well, mine is kind of related in some ways. I mean, I went to this event in, in Berlin called Cube Tech Fair and I went last year and last year was the first time they'd done it. And what, what they did was they had um, – they basically invited 100 startups – and they were handpicked to come and pitch for a million dollars. And one of the judges was Steve Wozniak. And um, so it was kind of like they did they did a, day, a couple of days of pitching and stuff and they had booths where you could go and talk to the startups and, and so on. And I went on the second day and firstly it was very, very quiet. It was like, you know, going to a library or something. Um, most of the stallholders had gone home particularly those who'd um, not been successful in um, in the in the pitching round or whatever, which I thought was a little 
<laughs> a little poor given I, I don't know if they, they they got paid to go to the conference I'm, I, I'm not sure but anyway um, and I, I went around and spoke to some of the startups um, there was a it was you know your general kind of mix of you know there were people doing ag tech there was AI there was health tech there was some industrial IT things that you know I, I like I like thinking about and writing about and I said to them well you know the ones I sort of knew and stuff how did the pitch go and they were like yeah maybe I should have practiced so it was like okay so you've got 100 companies handpicked you're going to pitch to Steve Wozniak for a million dollars wouldn't you practice wouldn't you do like a practice pitch deck wouldn't you work on it wouldn't like what do you think Chris uh, I, I can't really comment because I am <laughs> some, usually somewhat unprepared for my talks, but I'm not talking to Steve Wozniak, so yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So I was a little bit shocked about that. And so it was an odd event. I mean, like I said, there was very few audience there. There was pretty this was last investors. year, yeah? Just to, just yeah. to reiterate, yeah. Yes, last year. There was very few people there. There was, um, you know, just a few audience participants, but most were genos or um, – Investors, but I mean, this was day two, of course. And the person, the company that won the pitching competition, the million dollars, was called Inlitic, E N L I T I C. And um, I went to Tech Cube, for, oh sorry, Cube Cube Tech. It's, I keep mixing up conferences this year, and it was a vastly different conference. It was a different venue. Um, there was a lot of people there, so they'd obviously done something different. Um, instead of having stalls and pitching, there wasn't any of that. Uh, what they did was vastly different. It was just there was a small number of, like, there was a couple of speaking um, tracks uh, simultaneously. One was kind of small and internet fireside. One was presentations. And what they did was they had sort of sections of the conference venue uh, I guess booked out for um, for meetings, so you could literally go there and meet with. So it's more like slush um, then. Exactly, you could go and meet with investors. You could meet with startups, um, and it was a list of who was attending, sort of thing, and you could organise it all beforehand, um, which I thought was a very interesting perspective, a way to do a conference. And it shows that people are getting finding that maybe some of the earlier conference models aren't meeting what people need. And so they're coming up with new ways to do it, which I think is, is, is quite good. But anyway, this company Analytic, um, the founder and managing partner got up and spoke about, um, you know, this is what happened after we got this million dollars. <laughs> and it was super, in- yeah. and it was super interesting. Firstly, they, they did get the money. Oh, okay. Good, good. <laughs> so it, wasn't, it wasn't one of those ones where the due diligence fell down and they got nothing. Um, they did get it. And what they, what the company is doing is AI mm-hmm. and they're actually doing AI looking at early stage lung cancer tumours. So it's a very precision medicine area um, focused on radiology Um, and their their remit at present is that they're not actually taking over the job of a radiologist yet. (laughs) Rather it's actually um, a diagnostic tool uh, that can be used by the radiologist particularly for a second opinion or a third opinion Mm -hmm. and it means that the radiologist can use that time they would spend going through imaging and diagnosing and all this sort of stuff uh, with the patient, doing patient care. So, um, and, they, and they spoke a lot, I'll be writing up about this, but they spoke a lot about sort of, you know, 
the money meant that they were able to do more clinical trials. Um, they've been able to engage with the FDA for approval there. They're, they're not, you know, live yet or anything. It takes This kind of stuff takes a few years. But it shows that, you know, there's so much bump and hype and, you know, uh, I don't know, hashtags when we come to AI. But when you actually see someone using it for a, a, a good reason, it's actually it's, it's hyper-focused, it's, it's a very kind of rigorously tested area it's, and, you know, it shows that there is a, a value behind it. Mm. So it was, it was super interesting. Okay. I, I enjoyed that. Anything else from the event? Um, I'll be writing maybe a couple okay. more articles about some of the different things. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Yeah. And next up, uh, so from Oslo, I came to Mauritius <laughs> to speak at – a conference down here, um, and it's definitely down here. Uh, <laughs> it's I forgot. I always forgot it's the southern hemisphere actually because it's still like twenty-seven degrees, but they're actually entering towards winter. And the only thing wow. that you notice that is it's not as warm as it normally is, and also uh, it gets dark quite early, which is something you forget about. Of course, so it's actually dark by about six o'clock. Um, I mean, it's it's actually interesting. So. Because of my flights, I only made one day of the event and I spoke twice in that day. Um, it was – so apparently I was told actually by a woman from uh, Ghana or Nambia, I can't remember, at the Catapult event that Mauritius is the outsourcing capital of Africa, which is – I didn't realise. And actually one of the companies I work with does have a small team here, which is why I'm here and, and I'm with that company. They paid for the trip and everything. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I guess it's because they have this history, shared history of uh, England and France. So they speak English and French and sometimes mm-hmm. other languages, sort of depending on their background. Um, mm. So I guess that's fairly appealing to European and American companies. Um, time difference, especially from Europe, is only plus three or plus two, depending where in Europe you are. Uh, I, I guess and as traditional with outsourcing, they're, they're cheaper. You know, that's... Um, the event was free, uh, which is interesting and different and obviously opened it up to everybody, but they got some very good sponsorship. So they had, uh, drinks and dinner, um, paid for every evening. So I guess making it again, affordable for anybody, which is good. And there were lots of students and younger people. Fantastic. Um, talks were pretty good. The ones I saw, uh, there was sort of a couple of different themes, um, but the, actually, so what I found interesting was, <laughs> and bear with me here, bear in mind the country's location. You might kind of be like Chris Wall, of course, you idiot. But <laughs> it was so super nice to go to a tech conference that wasn't full of white guys. <laughs> where actually the white guys were the minority. And, of course, it's halfway between India and Africa, so that's hardly surprising. Um, but still, you know, it's just such a different kind of thing to see. Um, it gives something of a different perspective. I, I don't know if culturally or whatever it made people that different, but still it made, you know, just looking around a room very different. Um, it's, it's a weird culture. I mean, this is nothing to do with the tech, like the bureaucracy and the government language is English and the whole place is very British. Like you drive on the left, all the road signs look like <laughs> they're from the UK, but then the mm. people's language is either French or Creole. 
Um, mm. And that is weird because I speak reasonable French and no one can understand me and I can't understand them. So <laughs> it's like Quebec French. It's just not really like real yeah. French. <laughs> so, um, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of outsourcing companies here. So that tends to influence the sorts of work people are doing. It tends to be C Sharp, Java, PHP. Uh, I saw a lot of people doing Symphony, which is not something I normally see at European conferences these days. So, yeah, that influences the sort of work people do. Um, one of the conference organisers was actually a German guy who's been here for a very long time. And when I tried to speak to him in German, he didn't want to speak German to me. <laughs> he wanted to speak in English. So I guess he's kind of cut those ties somewhat. Although to me, he still sounded like he left Germany yesterday. So his accent was still quite strong. It was quite strange. Um, and he made sure things ran on time. <laughs> not, on, not on island. Not on island time. Not on island time, as they say here. Because uh, apparently that was – there was a couple of Americans, not many – one who they brought in who was a somewhat bizarre guy called .NET Dave who did all these weird, like, videos in his talks of metal bands and stuff and then played guitar at the end of his talk, which was weird. (laughs) (laughs) What can I say? (laughs) But, uh, yeah, and, I mean, going more deeply into the culture, I find it very weird. Like, there's very much kind of, you know, a lot of people come here either to use the outsourcing or to come on holiday, which does Mm. equal a very um, two-tier culture. Like if you're white, European, American, Australian, whatever, and then you're kind of in quote marks indigenous population, which there is actually no such thing, but, you know, if you're not here from afar kind of thing, it's very hard to see the, like, I don't know, the, the... what the locals do or something like you tend to just always be in Western hotels and the only way to really get around is taxis. So you kind of, so it's sheltered. Yeah. I I finding it quite different from what I'm used to and a little uncomfortable as well. It's not something I'm very comfortable with and I don't really ever do. Uh, So I'm finding it kind of weird. Um, And if I was to come back, I think, I would actually book my own accommodation <laughs> and find somewhere that was a bit more like I'm used to that lets me just like go to a restaurant or something. Like at the moment I'm kind of in one of these weird places where there's nothing around and you're kind of, you're stuck. Kind of stuck in a resort. And it's actually not very oh, – the, oh, how the it's, other also, it's actually also quite <laughs> expensive for food and stuff, like even more expensive – like it's almost as expensive as London or something. So – and I just want to go to a supermarket and like get a bottle of wine or something and you can't. Like there's nothing near. Uh, so, so it's kind of weird. Uh, it doesn't really, I mean, I'm getting a lot of work done. <laughs> anyway, I assume you could get a taxi to. Yeah, but it just, taxis, something. taxis do not feel like a normal thing to me and see kind of the earlier discussion we had about public transport, I suppose. I like walking and getting buses and stuff and it's just not really an option. Like the nearest anything is like seven kilometers away. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I find it strange. I'm leaving tomorrow and I kind of enjoyed the conference because I met locals and now I'm kind of like, hmm. <laughs> just A stuck. question for you though. Yeah. I mean, um, what was I going to ask? Hang on, sorry. Yeah, I mean, you've mentioned the outsourcing being sort of a main kind of industry in tech. Is there much of an entrepreneurial culture as well in terms of startups? A small amount. Uh, I didn't yeah. really – it wasn't that kind of event for me to find out. A small mm-hmm. amount. Like I actually met a few people who work for the local media company. Um, 
but I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I, I probably would say I don't think so. I mean, entrepreneurialism in Africa generally is still reasonably new. And actually, this feeds, sorry to go off on a tangent, this actually feeds very nicely into something else that the the speaker I was talking about from the um, Catapult conference. She actually said a very interesting point in that we tend, in the West, tend to term entrepreneurialism as meaning something very specific. And she said, like, why are we not including the people who live on $10 a day with three kids? Like, that's entrepreneurial, you know. And all mm, the people who point. started, like the um, Arab Spring and all these kind of things. Like, that's entrepreneurial. Yeah, Why are they point. not included in entrepreneurial conferences? You know, it's, that it's kind of thing. It's enterprising. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, it's, it's initiative. Yeah. Exactly. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. With the, I guess the downside of that, it would make conferences very broad, but still you could learn a lot. Like, this is actually literally running a campaign from nothing. You know, <laughs> if you want to know about bootstrapping, and, I mean, <laughs> you know. I, I would be curious, and and this may not have been come up at all, mm. but I always like I, I would argue here in Berlin that people still see Silicon Valley as the yeah yeah um, the goal, if yeah. we can use that yeah. term, or yeah. the the aspiration yeah. of um, how to do things, perhaps, or how to win, or whatever. I don't mm. know what the term is. Um, is it the same there or are they looking to India or Asia or Africa? Or? I don't know. I mean, especially from the perspective of the conference I was at, which was far more of a developer conference mm, and out, outsourcing. Sure. Like like when we spoke about Ukraine a couple of months yeah. ago, they've been doing it longer and they're starting to want to uh, do something yeah. different and they're closer to Europe. That's actually a good point. I think yeah, countries like this are still sort of almost new to the outsourcing game. So... I'm not sure if they're at that point yet. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. It was the wrong sort of conference to get an answer to that yeah, question okay. as well. I'd have okay. to dig some no, more. Okay. But, yeah, anyway, that was interesting. interesting. Very interesting. So, and I will have, at our next episode, I still have uh, one, two, three, four. We will have another <laughs> four more conferences to speak to you about uh, over the next few weeks. One of them Kate is coming to. But I am. Let's let's move on. Um, let's uh, go back to some other t- topics from other people, and then we'll wrap up with what we've been writing. So, I'd like to talk a little bit about China. Firstly, an interesting article from ZDNet um, talking about uh, paranoia will destroy you. Why Chinese tech isn't spying on us? I mean, I guess I would caveat this with, with this with saying it's hard to prove yes or no, uh, depending on your opinion on things. And I, I suppose I would say a little bit of so what. I mean, unless China decides to try and take over the world tomorrow, which is unlikely, I will say, in big italics. Um, so what? I mean, what does it matter to me living in Germany? I don't know. Uh, uh, i got to say, conversely, yeah. like, other, like America's not spying exactly, on people. Exactly. No, exactly. Exactly. Germany I, I, and Australia. I think I'm more bothered about America than China because <laughs> yeah. I have more interaction with them. But it's an interesting article just talking about that side of things. Like what have they got to gain? Why Why do it? Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it was interesting. A different perspective. I'm not really sure which whether, A, whether I believe either yes or no and, B, like do I care? Um, mm. So and feeding into the next article that wraps into this, uh, I mean – even then, like if I get an iPhone, 
it's still made in China. I mean, like, who knows what other stuff may still be there? Who knows? And this feeds nicely into the next one, which has been in the news quite yeah. a bit, the RIP, mm. ZTE, ZTE. Um, and Huawei have had some similar threats but are not uh, not had them taken out quite yet. Basically just mm. completely disassembling ZTE as a business in America. Um, and it, it's quite fascinating. So I still am a little unclear about why this happened. Um, yeah. And this particular article again is from Z, uh, Z, ZDNet, ZDNet, I don't know. So this is actually to do, I think, with trade deals they've done with Iran, I think, and other countries. I think this was the origin of this, actually, not anything else. But I think okay. that may be used as an excuse to, you know, the pro-America stance of Trump. But they're actually the fourth largest smartphone company in the US, <laughs> which is fairly large. Um, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because they are basically not allowed to also use American components. This And this includes at least, I think, a, an average smartphone, even from a Chinese company, I think includes at least 30 patents on hardware components and Android. Android is the big like deal. Arm? <laughs> arm? Well, Arm is British. So <laughs> Arm is actually British. So you can get away with... But it's other processes, other processes. Like the radio thing is, I think, is Motorola and a whole bunch of others. But then Android itself is the big one as well. There are no mobile operating systems that are not American, either iOS or Android. So um, then uh, Samsung has Tizen, but that's pretty poor. And apparently Huawei has been working on a an alternative, but you're always going to struggle to get the ecosystem. I mean, just look at Windows Phone. I mean, that struggled, and that's from Microsoft. So, um, yeah. And what, gosh, what happens with 5G? And then you get onto the, you know, some of the other technologies, and it becomes. Really- yeah, I mean, this is interesting. I mean, it hasn't stopped their market in Europe or anywhere else in the world, but the US is still a big market. Um, and it's just quite fascinating when you look at the interconnectedness of a consumer device. It's not just where stuff is made, it's who holds the patents and things like that. Like if you have an Intel processor, sure, it's probably made in China, but it's an American product, you know. Mm. <laughs> so it's interesting. You know, these sorts of things are interesting. We forget about this stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And patents are what matters. Like when you just spoke about ARM, um, actually when I was at the Write the Docs conference, one of my friends there is an ex-employee of ARM and he pointed out something that I'd kind of forgotten about. ARM don't make anything. All they do is license the technology. They actually make nothing. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, <laughs> and this is, this is often how American companies make their, you know, actual West, they're British, but how Western companies make their money. Um, they don't make anything. They just own rights to stuff. This is why Motorola was so valuable because they own um, all the FM patents and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, although Arm is now uh, fully owned by SoftBank, so officially they're kind of Japanese right. now as well. And don't even get me started on SoftBank and their secret plot to take over the world. But Oh, uh, no. <laughs> People worried about Google. Hello, SoftBank. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to wrap up with two more. It's been a bit dominant on my content. Do apologise. Um, That's all right. Kate? You've been travelling the Kate, world. Kate, what have you been up to? I don't know. We'll come to your articles in a minute. Uh, I'd actually like to talk about very quickly an article I read on Business Insider about what everybody gets wrong about introverts, including why they are not antisocial or lazy. And I read this. I always consider myself an extrovert who an extrovert when I feel like it, but most of the time an introvert. <laughs> and when I read this article... It basically said that's an introvert, like someone who basically has a – well, everyone has a a reserve of extrovertedness (laughs) 
and it sort of varies mm. what your level is and how long you need to recharge that. And I can yeah. completely relate to this article. It, it described me almost exactly and I found it <laughs> quite fascinating uh, and, and quite Quite good, actually. So I highly recommend if you feel like you're anywhere on that spectrum, have a read of it. It was quite good. And finally, from Vulture.com, uh, 25 best board game mobile apps. Um, I'm a big board gamer, but sometimes I'm traveling or I just want to play a game, learn how to play it or whatever. And some of the tablets, uh, they work on phones too, but the phone's kind of too small. Uh, board gaming apps are really good. And this is a really nice uh, roundup, actually. And I, I found it especially contemporary for me because when I was last in the US, I bought one of the new uh, 9.7 inch iPads and a pencil. And I will talk about more than that, more on that in the future because actually I have, uh, it's really good. <laughs> Spoiler, it's really good. <laughs> so, so, um, <laughs> it's really good. So, but anyway, so I have been looking to rebuy and rebuy ones I had on my Android tablet and new ones, uh, board game apps. So this was quite appropriate for me. So have a read of that too. Kate, um, we're both a little light on what we've written about over the past few weeks, but what yeah, have you been working I've got, on? I've got some stuff coming out. But, yeah, um, that doesn't count though. <laughs> a couple of things I've been working on, I've done an article about the city of Atlanta Um a few weeks ago, or it was in March, I guess, or quite a few weeks ago, <laughs> there was a cyber attack on the um, local authorities, and which meant that um, they literally had to convert to old clunky um, phones and and um, pen, pen and paper and you know uh, spreadsheets. And it, it makes you really think about you know how's my handwriting these days if I had to go back to, you know, literally doing things not offline, it would be quite hard. Well, that, that, um, that feeds into my thing about the Apple Pencil because you're writing on that, yeah. but it's digitised. But anyway, carry on. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, look, it wasn't the most exciting attack. It was a small, relatively small scale. The amount of the ransomware request, you know, amount was quite low. Um, they got everything back online in, you know, few weeks or whatever but I think it I think it shows that you know we, we've seen that uh, the medical facilities in particular have been under attack in um, particularly the US and Europe and, and the UK of course well okay everywhere <laughs> let's just say everywhere because traditionally their their security has been laxer because they haven't had as much time to deal with the um human side of things. I mean, whether it's you bring your own device to work stuff or it's dealing with um, other ways people get in. Um, but now we're seeing it's also transferring over to um, to governments and transport authorities and people like that, as well as the industrial space. Um, it's I, I will write something about this. I, I've written something for D-Zone, but it's... Um, no, sorry, I'll start that again. I've written something for Memento, but it's um, hopefully going to go to another source. Uh, there is this whole kind of <laughs> fairly insidious thing of um, industrial espionage, if, if you, we can call it that, um, where people oh, are, sure. are going into factories to get um, to get information. And there's been a few factories that have actually gone on record and said that it's happened to them, which, is, you know, is pretty 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 interesting when you think about it. Um, and I the other article I wrote about... Autonomous cars, fog, snow and the car wash. That was the next one I was going <laughs> to say. This one was about um, VWT in Finland, uh, which is like a a technology research centre and they've been working on cars that can um, 
go through fog and see through fog using LiDAR, which is the, the little siren-looking thing on the top of the car. It basically does um, uses beams of um, infrared light to be able to identify objects um, and make them into 3D images and therefore be able to respond accordingly. So, it's you know, this is what you kind of, the technology... It's, look, it's really the pinnacle of autonomous driving because what it does is it can recognise whether something is a car, whether it's a person, whether it's a you know a dog, whatever. Um, and what they've been working on is that a car, if, if I can use the word see because it sounds a little confusing, can see through fog, um, which is quite a, a big step. And, and this company in particular, because you think of the, the Nordic regions, they um, have another car which is like the... The, I think they call it the husband of this other car um, that can now travel through um, through snow, and like the actual um, you know the deep tech of this stuff is very involved and very complicated and all this sort of stuff. But the funniest thing about the whole thing is um, uh, when you think of an autonomous car or a semi-autonomous or whatever you want to call it, they're fitted with loads of sensors, so they're pretty delicate. In reality, and one of the biggest enemies of autonomous cars is the car wash. Whether it's an so, if you, you think of this car wash as this um, this system that people can you know just drive through, well, the brushes can can damage the sensors, and you know these aren't these aren't well. While the price points of sensors have dropped a lot, these aren't the, the cheaper kind of sensors. These are expensive stuff. Um, and they can they can make the car effectively blind. So it's they literally have people that have their job is to clean the cars, and these cars require a lot more cleaning than a normal car because, of course, the sensors need to be in top condition, like no no debris on them or bird crap or anything like that. And so there's something quite humbling about the thought that you've got you know these super fancy cars and they still just have the humble person with the the rag and the special cleaner cleaning the cars, you know. All right, and I apologise for, I'm guessing, the post person ringing the bell in the Kate's background there. <laughs> it was. Uh, it's that time of day, I know. Um, yeah. For me, a little bit of a theme, I wrote an article that I was going for a bit of clickbait, but it didn't really work, unfortunately, so far. Is quitting bad so software annoying. as hard as becoming vegan? <laughs> Just talking about how um, how far do you go, basically, if you're trying mm. to to give up software that you consider bad. Um, have a read if you're interested. And I did a quick write-up of the ethics of designers and developers at the first Berlin Ethical Tech Meetup that I wasn't at because I wasn't there, but uh, I'm one of the organisers and there was a video feed. So uh, actually it was quite interesting. So mm. yeah. Um, coming up over the next few weeks, we still have a couple more of it. Um we do. We just get my list up. Uh, la, 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 la. I, from on uh, May 25th, so Friday of this week, will be speaking about conversational UIs for writers at SoapConf and in uh, Krakow. And Kate will be in Krakow if you want to meet her, but she won't be at the conference. Will. Then I'm doing the same talk a couple of days later uh, at the Evolution of Technical Communication event in Sofia. Then if you're into games and you just want to hang out, I'll be at the UK Games Expo in Birmingham. Then I will be speaking about building a career as a freelance writer at the Write the Docs London meetup on the 5th of June. 
Then Kate and I will be at Login in Villainous together. Uh, we're doing a press tour of uh, Lithuania. So if you're a Lithuanian startup, we'd love to hear from you. We would, very much. Uh, and actually, then there's some more events coming up all in Berlin from middle of June onwards, but we'll leave those there for now. And hopefully in somewhere in this time, Chris will be taking some time off to lie down and not be on a plane or a train or... <laughs> after after login. After login, I don't intend to... With to a lanyard. As I said, the next two, the next three events after that are all in Berlin, so I'm not going anywhere after that for a while. This it's like been... I need to lock you in the ha- lock you in the apartment. Oh, please so don't, don't please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of those horror films. That is, there is actually, uh, ironically, listeners, there is actually a horror film. Yeah, please, please don't <laughs> do not... that, Kate. Uh, okay, no, no, I've got to tell people this one. There is actually a, a fairly terrible horror film um, of an Australian that visits Berlin and meets a guy, and he he locks her in his apartment. <laughs> She can't get out. Well, the, it's the, the worst. The is, Kate, we have a balcony on the first floor, so the worst case, I could actually just. <laughs> well, this the, down this is the funny thing about about this conference about sorry this um this this film because there's so like she doesn't even put a sign in the window or anything like you would think you would do if you're locked. Uh, anyway, it's it's a terrible film, and I will link to it because it's worth a um, well, worth a watch just so you that. can laugh at it. All right. <laughs> yeah, so wrapping up another show. Uh, recently on the feed has been a great interview with uh, Robotical about Marty the Robot, which I recommend you go back and have a listen. Coming up after this episode will be uh, an episode on the future of uh, big data for developers, for DevOps people. With uh, It's actually a combined interview with people from Datical and Pepper Data. I'm just getting kind of final okay from the two speakers on that, and that should be up a few days after this episode. And then um, we'll see what comes after that. There's still hopefully the Stephen Wolfram interview soon, actually. That was quite a good interview. And he's quite a well-known person. So uh, we'll see. That should come up soon. Um, if you have enjoyed the show, please go to gregoriousmammal.com slash support. Sign our new GDPR compliant mailing list to receive the email that goes alongside this. Uh, and give us a donation or buy some merchandise. Previous shows you can find at gregoriousmammal.com slash podcast and we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash gregoriousmammal. Kate, how can the people find you? I am on katelawrence.com. That's Kate with a C and Lawrence with a W. And conversely, on Twitter, twittering away enthusiastically about all kinds of tech things. And that's at Kate underscore Lawrence, Cape the C, Lawrence and the W. I am at Chris Chinch or ChrisChinchilla.com. Uh, and I, uh, yeah, if you join our newsletter, we will send you stickers too. I actually need to send some more out soon and I've been giving quite a few away at conferences, so I'll be getting a new print run done soon. They have been quite popular. So if you have been, thank you very much for listening. <laughs>